So we're kind of at our last message. Well, not our last one. Next Sunday will be the last one in Matthew, but that's just Matthew chapter 28. That's the great story, the, the story of Jesus rising again. And so this passage that we're sharing today, that I'm sharing today, is actually covering three chapters. This is the stuff that's happening right before Jesus enters Jerusalem. These last three chapters, 19, 20, and then 21, is actually him going into the city. So hopefully you've been tracking with us this whole time, and you should have read from chapter 1 all the way through to chapter 21. If you didn't read 19, 20, 21 yet, do that today. Because this week, since we're ending on Matthew 28 next Sunday, this week, we're going to send out a devotional covering each of the chapters we're skipping over. 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27. All of those chapters are going to be covered this week in a daily devotional. Uh, we're going to post that video at our Facebook page. You can uh, listen, watch it, or just listen to the audio, whichever you want to do. And that's because this week is Holy Week. Matthew 21 is Jesus entering the city, Jerusalem. And then 22 through 27 is the week spanning uh, Holy Week. And we didn't want to just skip over those because we want to celebrate on Easter Sunday, Matthew 28. So we're going to put those devotionals out this week so you can check those out in the morning. They'll go up early just in case you're an early riser, like to do your devotions at the beginning of the day. You can get those right away in the morning. If not, you can watch them in the evening or whenever you want to. We're doing that because a lot happens in the, the time frame between now when you walk out of here and what we've just shared in these three chapters and when you come back in Sunday morning on the 28th or chapter 28 of Matthew, Sunday is going to be the 9th, uh, April 9th. So a lot takes place and we want you to, to hear about that through those devotionals. But this morning, um, these are kind of the last things Jesus says to his disciples before it gets kind of crazy when they enter the city. Jesus' teaching, preaching ministry is not going to be the same anymore when he enters the city. He's going to be doing some specific things, addressing some things that have lots of Old Testament connotations to it because Jesus is doing a lot of fulfilling through that week, that holy week of all these prophecies that were being made in the Old Testament finally coming to fulfillment in the person of Christ. And so 19 and 20 is kind of like, Here's what I want you to remember. So if you've ever been in a teaching session, if you've done teaching before, if you've done coaching before, if you've sat in a teaching session before, usually the thing you remember most is the last thing that was said to you. So often people say, if you forget everything else, remember this. Just remember these last words I'm telling you. And that's kind of what Jesus is doing with his disciples in Matthew 19 and 20. These are the last things Jesus is going to say to these guys in this way. If you forget everything else, remember this. 19 and 20 is that. Remember this about what I've taught you. Now, obviously, we've only started this in January. So we read Matthew 1, and now we're in April. But Matthew is covering, we believe, scholars believe, about three and a half years of Jesus' life in ministry. 
And we've been talking about life with Jesus. We've been reading about it. We got to see what life with Jesus was like with the disciples, with the crowds, what Jesus himself said and did. If you were walking around with Jesus when he was alive, Matthew is telling you what life could have been like for you if you were one of his followers or if you were somebody in the crowd. And so we've been saying to ourselves, well, we're a disciple. That's what we call ourselves, a follower of Jesus. We follow Jesus's teaching and believe he is who he says he is. And we put our faith and trust in that. And so we in the 21st century, United States of America and Pennsylvania and Schuylkill Haven or whatever town you came from, we want to do life with Jesus also. And so that's what the sermon series was talking about. What does life with Jesus now look like for us as Christians living in 21st century? And we're kind of bringing that all to a conclusion today and next Sunday. And one of the things that we have to ask ourselves that I think Maybe the disciples are asking themselves, is it worth it? Is this life with Jesus worth it? Because Jesus, as he enters the city, there is a huge crowd with him. And they're asking themselves, is it worth it? This life with this guy named Jesus and all the things that start taking place. And we know before long, there's not a whole lot of people hanging around Jesus anymore. And I think the disciples go into that city and they've got to ask themselves, is life with Jesus worth it? And Jesus is going to challenge them with 19 and 20, the conversations he has with them, whether or not life with him is worth it. Because the disciples, as we see, and I'm not going to read all of it for you, if you've read it on your own, the disciples are still kind of confused about what Jesus is offering them. They think Jesus is offering them a kingdom, power, honor, prestige, wealth. Jesus is a king. He's setting up his kingdom. And we're going to be some pretty great people. What? We're, we're Jesus' 12 disciples. We're going to be great. And greatness in their mind is similar to what they were picturing in the Roman mind, greatness in their mind. I used Matthew 18. We, David preached that for us last week. At the beginning of Matthew 18, it talks about the greatness in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus uses a little child to kind of give that image, that picture of the greatness in the kingdom of heaven. I used that passage in Liberia. And in Liberia, I was using greatness and what it's very similar to when we think about greatness the kinds of pictures we get when you're driving through Monrovia there will be uh, black SUVs that'll have sirens on them and they'll just start driving I mean they expect you to get out of the way kind of like we are with ambulances and fire trucks we move out of the way in Liberia if somebody important is coming through you get out of the way. They just drive straight through because traffic is ridiculous. I think I saw like two stop signs. There was one traffic light and they actually obeyed it. I was actually surprised. They obeyed that traffic light. And, but there was one in the entire city. I mean, it is just people going all over. Traffic is a nightmare. But when that important person comes through, you got to get out of the way. You just move and the, the sea spread, uh, separates and they just drive through. And that conveys to everybody else 
that's somebody really, really important. Now, we do that for ambulances and fire trucks, but usually if somebody important comes through town, as Americans often I think, well, who do you think you are? You can stay behind me, and I might drive a little bit slower just to let you know how it feels, that you're not that important. That's kind of how we think maybe sometimes. But in Liberia, you just get out of the way, and everybody knows that that person's important. That's what the disciples thought they were going to be. Everybody just got out of the way for us because we're part of Jesus' kingdom. Now remember, if you forget everything else, disciples, Jesus says, this is what I want you to remember. It is worth it, but it doesn't look like what you think it looks like. Peter, James, John, you guys. It starts like... um, Everything else starts when Matthew changes scenes. There's a collection of stories. David was sharing with you just kind of a specific teaching. Jesus is teaching the crowd, teaching the Pharisees. He's challenged by them and teaching the disciples. And it's what we would call a discourse. Jesus' specific purpose of that passage is to sit down and teach people. 19 and 20, he is up on the move again, doing ministry. And as I've been sharing, Jesus loves using life for teachable moments. So they are walking towards Jerusalem now. And as they're going towards Jerusalem, he's using the different things that are people that are coming up to him as a teachable moment. Maybe he just, as they're traveling, talks to his disciples specifically for a teachable moment. And then he's also in the midst of that doing ministry. And so these three stories are about what God values, what Jesus values, what the kingdom is all about. If you can remember back to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus kind of laid the groundwork. I know we're all a part of this kingdom, but let me tell you about my kingdom, everybody. And he sits down on the mountainside or the hillside in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and he just starts teaching them about his kingdom. 19 and 20 is taking us back to those values, the kingdom values, what greatness looks like in my kingdom, what importance looks like in my kingdom, what we are supposed to be doing as a part of my kingdom. And he's saying all this before it gets nuts in Jerusalem. Things are going to go fast. That week goes by pretty quick, and it's not going to be the same. Chapter 21 starts Jesus really revealing all the teaching, all the ministry, all the things they've witnessed over the last three and a half years. Jesus starts showing them in very vivid ways, very personal ways. You can read about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because each of those gospels tells something about that week and what Jesus is saying and doing. Is it worth it? Is this life with Jesus worth it? The disciples had to ask themselves that question. And I want to suggest to you that we have to ask ourselves that question as well. You'll be challenged. Things will get crazy. You'll go through some stuff where you have to ask yourself, is life with Jesus worth it? Matthew starts the journey to Jerusalem in this way. When Jesus had finished saying these things, That's Matthew 18. We heard about that last week. When he got done with that teaching, he left Galilee, went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Most of his ministry was on this side of the Jordan. 
When he crosses that river, everything changes. There's no turning back. He is headed for Jerusalem. Judea is the region where Jerusalem was, and ministry starts changing. Now Jesus knows, because he predicts it, if you read in Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 17 through 19, Jesus explicitly tells the disciples what's going to happen when we get into the city. He predicts his death. He tells him he's going to be arrested. He tells him he's going to be beaten and flogged. He tells him he's going to be crucified. He tells him he's going to rise again. He is very explicit about it. So he's got one last little journey to talk to his disciples. And this is it. They cross the Jordan. And now what are the last things these guys are going to remember? In the midst of Jesus doing this teaching... It says, Matthew says in verse 2 of chapter 19, there's still a large crowd following him. And he was still healing people. This whole group that was in Galilee, they come across with him and they start heading to Jerusalem also. It's Passover. Everybody's going. So they wouldn't just stay back home. They're actually making this pilgrimage. And so Jesus has a pretty big entourage going with them as he's walking towards the city. He's already very popular. Just think about all the miracles that we read about, we talked about, all the amazing things that Jesus did, the feeding of five plus thousand people, healing people, raising people from that, all that crazy stuff. People are now following Jesus. He is a huge crowd with him. And so he's taking different, he's challenged in some ways, and he's taking different opportunities to address those challenges. He's taking opportunities to talk to his disciples. Now remember, if there's one thing I want you to remember, here it is, disciples. If you forget everything else I've said and all the things you witnessed, we're about to go into Jerusalem. It's about to get crazy. Here's what I want you to remember. And he says it in a couple of different ways in Matthew 19 and 20. Those Two chapters, he repeats himself a few times. Repetition in Jewish literature meant emphasis. It's kind of like capital bold letters. Like if you write an email and you want somebody really to know something, you put it in capital letters, you bold it, and maybe you highlight it. Well, that's what Jewish people did when they were writing, except they repeated themselves. And this is what Jesus says multiple times a little bit differently. But in some way, he says, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. So Jesus could tell these guys anything as they're walking to Jerusalem. But this is what he says. This, these comments had to have been ringing in their ears as they walk into Jerusalem, and they start witnessing the events that are taking place. Remember, he is the king of a kingdom that he is establishing. He enters the city as that king. This huge entourage, this crowd, laying palm branches down, singing and yelling. I, I, I imagine what happened to Jesus is what happens when you enter a church in Liberia. There is tons of singing and dancing, as I said, and it is loud. I can see this happening with Jesus and his disciples in this huge entourage, and yet these are the words before they get there, when it's still quiet, you know, they're probably still around the campfire, traveling, walking. 
And Jesus is telling them this, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And he says it in a few ways. He's trying to help them see and understand what this kingdom that I'm establishing is all about. It's not like the kingdoms that you're a part of or that you've seen in this world. And he does that specifically in chapter 19 when he's challenged about divorce. When Jesus talks about divorce, he's talking about this relationship that God established, this value that God has put on this thing we call marriage. And in Jesus' day, they made laws about it from the book of Deuteronomy. That's where the Pharisees and teachers of the law go. I'm not going to read all of 19 for you, but if you read it for yourself, that's what they said. Well, Moses said in Deuteronomy this, this, and this about this marital union. And Jesus says, no, you're looking at the wrong spot. You need to go back to Genesis. I think Jesus is, why does this, why does Matthew include this conversation in this section? I think Jesus is emphasizing God's value on this relationship that he instituted all the way back in the book of Genesis. And the devaluing that we do with this marriage covenant. That's what it, we call it, a covenant. It's very biblical language. Nowadays in the United States, marriage can mean anything. We've made it mean whatever we want it to mean, and we've devalued this relationship in which, if you read Genesis, life ensues. And so that doesn't, you know, that, yeah, we kind of get that about marriage now. It's just a thing that everybody does. In Jesus' day, when the disciples are hearing this, they just thought it was standard. Oh, yeah, we go back to Deuteronomy. Here's a law certificate of divorce. Here you go. Uh, I don't like you. Here's a certificate of divorce. They just made it easy. And what Jesus is saying is blowing their minds. Maybe it's not blowing our mind the way that he's saying it. But the disciples are being challenged. These teachers of the law are being challenged on what God's value system is. And they devalued something that God instituted from the beginning. I mean, for Genesis 1, for goodness sakes. The building blocks of society are based on this. Of course he wants them to know how important this relationship is. He moves on from there. Again, the importance, God's value system. You get this little story. It's very small. It's only a couple verses. Chapter 19, verse 13 and 14. And all it is, and 15, is all it is, is about these little kids that come towards Jesus. The people were bringing their children to place their hands on them. And what are the disciples? Are they trying? Jesus is too important to worry about these kids. Get these kids away from Jesus. You know who he is? He's the king of the Jews. Now, what does Jesus do? He rebukes them and says, no, let the little children come to me. Children in this part of the world, first century world, were not played with. Children were not valued highly. That's why the disciples are keeping them away from Jesus. I got a great picture of Rick, the guy that was with me in Liberia. And I didn't see a whole lot of this happening. But Rick was, we were in the church like this. And there were 
bunch of kids just sitting there. And I didn't really see too many adults playing with the kids. But here Rick is, this American teacher. You know, we get to sit up on the front of the church. They always got a chair for us. They wanted just us to feel welcomed and important. And here Rick was getting on the ground with the kids, playing silly games with them. And I imagine that's how Jesus was. Everybody else says, no, he's important. If Jesus was coming in town, he'd be in that SUV, sirens going, everybody gets out of the way. Except Jesus tells the disciples, uh-uh, that's not the value system in my kingdom. They come to Jesus, he embraces them, puts his hands on them, blesses them. And again, he's, this, this is it. This is what you're seeing before you get into Jerusalem, and it all changes. So the disciples just saw this. And now the Bible, if you have subtitles in your Bible, the rich young ruler, the rich in the kingdom of God is what mine says. It's a story about this younger guy who is a devout Jew. And he comes to Jesus and he asks the question, how do I inherit eternal life? And the disciples are looking, we know that far from the way they responded and the things that Jesus said. And the disciples are looking at this guy thinking, that guy definitely is in. He's devout, he's young, he's wealthy. God must love him a lot because he's been blessed with all kinds of wealth. That's what they believed. And in old, some Old Testament teaching, that's what God said. You follow me and I'm going to bless you. You walk away from me and I'm going to curse you. And so the disciples are saying, this guy must be really blessed. If anybody's got a chance to get into this kingdom, it's that guy. So he approaches Jesus, and Jesus says, well, here's what you need to do. And Jesus starts tacking off the Ten Commandments. Honor your mother and father, don't murder, don't commit adultery, and all those things. And he says, well, I've done all that, Jesus. And then Jesus says, okay, well then go sell everything you have, all your possessions. Go sell it, give it all to the poor, and follow me. And the guy walks away. And Jesus makes a comment about that, and that's why we have the response of the disciples. They are stunned. If that guy can't get in, what chance do we have? And I think the one commandment that this rich, young, devout Jew, the poster boy of how you get into the kingdom of heaven, the one commandment he was missing was the very first one. Jesus doesn't say it, but apparently he loves something more than God. Remember commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. But it looks like this young guy did. He walks away sad. And the disciples are blown away. If that guy can't get in, we, what chance do we have? Because we've left everything for you, Jesus. That's what Peter says here. This is Peter's response, the spokes guy for the rest of the disciples, after witnessing this interchange between Jesus and this devout, young, rich Jew. And they're blown away. And Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? What good is this kingdom if we can't get it? What do you have to offer us, Jesus? Not even this guy can get in. Is life with this king, Jesus, worth it? The disciples are still curious about that. 
They still haven't gotten it. Jesus responds to Peter. Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And here is his statement that he repeats himself. If you forget everything else, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. My kingdom is very different than the ones you're a part of. And the image you guys still have in your head is the image of that car. Well, maybe not the car, but that's the example I'm using. Driving through town and everybody getting out of your way because you're a part of Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus is still teaching them. It is worth it to follow me because what I'm offering you, this world cannot provide. The things of this world that seem wonderful and great pale in comparison to what I'm going to give you. So don't think for a second that the sacrifices you've made go unnoticed by God. In fact, I'm going to give you something that no thief can steal from you. With time, it's not going to wear away and be destroyed. With weather, it's not going to rust and be corroded. I'm providing something imperishable, provided for you by me, saved for you by me, and that is eternal life. And so my kingdom is not about the stuff of this world. And Jesus says that again as he Moves on from there in chapter 20, it's a parable. You can read that on your own. The parable is basically saying the same thing that he just had this interchange with this rich young ruler. He's using this parable to, to tell this same story. And at the end of the parable, he says those words. The last will be first and the first will be last. He makes the statement again. Talking about the generosity of the, of the landowner, who is a picture of God. And what God is offering to those laborers in his vineyard, you and me. And he ends that parable again. So the last will be first and the first will be last. So then the disciples, you know, you think you get it by now, but they don't. Jesus predicts his own death following that parable explicitly telling them what's about to happen. It's about to get real in Jerusalem. And we're left with this final story before he enters the city. This final kind of interchange between Jesus and his disciples before entering the city. And it's James and John asking for the right hand and the left hand a throne for themselves in this kingdom. We want positions of power and importance. Matthew says their mom came and talked to Jesus about it. Mark says it was the two of them. However it actually happened, James and John still wanted that seat of power. And the other disciples were upset about it, not because those guys didn't get it, 
because they wanted that seat of honor and power as well. And here's Jesus' statement with them. This is just before he enters the city. Not so with you. That's how the other kingdoms are, guys. The way you're thinking is just like Rome. I'm not setting up another Roman government. I'm setting up something far better. So it shouldn't be the same way with you guys. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. He used that word, slave. Whoever wants to be first, you don't put slave and being first in the same sentence. And Jesus ends that with, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. The king of this kingdom would give his own life. The next story, Jesus heals two blind guys. And I think Matthew just includes it there because he wants the disciples to realize how blind they are. And maybe he wants the reader to realize how blind some of us can be in this kingdom that Jesus is setting up. Some of us ask ourselves, is it worth it following Jesus? Because we base it on the stuff of this world. If my life is going well, yeah, sure, it's worth it. If things aren't difficult, if times aren't hard, well, yeah, it's worth it. And we think so much of this world is what we're grasping for. And we say to Jesus, well, I've left this, Jesus. I've left that. What are you going to give me? And we hold on to the things of this world so tightly that we forget that this world is not the end. This world is broken. At the renewal of all things, Jesus says, you will receive a far greater reward than anything this world has to offer. And there's sometimes, just like this past week, where we're reminded just how broken this world really is. And we've got to ask ourselves, how tightly are we holding on to things of this world? That today they're here, and tomorrow they're gone. Jesus is telling his disciples, he's, he's offering something so much better than this world. An eternity with God. And so if a lot of our hope and a lot of the things we put our faith and trust in are a part of this world, you're going to deal with some difficult things because they vanish like that. And there's times specifically in our country, that's what I felt after the stories of this past week just feels heavy and I'm reminded how broken it all really is and how desperately we need Jesus how much are you holding on to the things of this world what's keeping you from surrendering it all to Jesus life with Jesus is it worth it I'm asking you is it worth it If the answer is yes, then we should be giving him our all, our everything. 
And we should not be clinging to the things of this world, but to the hope that is found in this one who would give himself a ransom for many. Because the next chapter gets real. This huge crowd is with Jesus. And they're going to be challenged in the same way. This guy who was doing all these amazing things all over Galilee. Are you still willing to stick it out with him? All the teaching, all the healing, all the things Jesus did this last three and a half years comes to climax this week in Jerusalem. To that pinnacle moment when Jesus actually gives his life up as a ransom for many. He enters that city in this way, chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage and the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there and with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. This is Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah who would enter the city, Jerusalem, Zion. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd, remember, there's a huge crowd with Jesus coming with him from Galilee. All these Jews coming for pilgrimage to Jerusalem. This huge crowd that's with him, they start spreading their cloaks on the road and cut branches from trees and spread them on the road for him to walk over. And the crowds went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. These are all things that were attributed to the Messiah, the king of kings, the king of the Jews. And now they're walking into the city. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And they asked, who is this? This huge, huge crowd is coming in and the city is taken aback by it. Who is this that's entering the city with this giant crowd saying these things about a king? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And these crowds were holding on to the healings. Oh, if I can just stick around with Jesus, that's going to be healed. And the feeding of the 5,000, if I could just stick around with Jesus, he's going to bless me in this way. And they were holding on to things of this world, not to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And before long, the crowds disappear. And the disciples are still there. And before long, Peter himself denies Jesus three times. Is it worth it following Jesus? 21st century Christians living in Pennsylvania and Schuylkillhaven or whatever town you came from have to ask themselves, themselves that question. And what I want to suggest to you this morning as we prepare for communion, as you receive this bread and this cup, Jesus is offering, offering you so much more than what this world has to offer. And what we need to do is not hold so tightly to it. We got white knuckle gripped on it. But we need to offer it back to Jesus. Say, Jesus, it already belongs to you.
My life itself belongs to you. What's holding you back from following Jesus? Life with Jesus. That's what we've been talking about since January. Are you doing that? Are you satisfied with your life with Jesus? What are you holding on to? What do you need to let go of to really do life with him? Because he's offering you something this world can't offer. And on really, really heavy weeks, like this one that we went through, reading those stories about what took place in Nashville. And unfortunately, that was just one of many that has happened already this year. I've had to say, Jesus, it's yours. Sometimes I get really attached to this world. But it's passing away. I want you to take it. I want to follow you. I want to do life with you the way you've called me to do life with you. And in my value system, I want to be the same as your value system. When you take communion this morning, you have that opportunity. Jesus gave himself up, all of himself up for you and for me. We have an opportunity to give all of us back to him as well. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for the story of Jesus. And as he was preparing his disciples for what was about to take place as they entered Jerusalem, God, he was pre preparing them for something important that they would need to ask themselves. Is this life with Jesus worth it? And if it is, what is it that I need to let go of? things that I'm clinging to that I think are important, but in reality are just passing away. These kingdom values that Jesus has set up. Lord, I, I pray this morning that we've all come here, Lord, with stuff in our lives that maybe we need to give up, maybe we need to let go of. And I pray, Lord, this morning that we would do that. Forgive us, God, for where we've held on to things when we shouldn't have. Forgive us, for when we've sinned against you, Lord God, remind us that it was your broken body and your poured out blood that gives us something that this world can never take away and never will pass away. God, that's an eternity with you. And so, Lord, as we prepare our hearts for communion, I pray that your spirit would be doing the work for us that as we sing this song, God, that you would be reminding us of what Jesus has done for us and that we would use this opportunity to let go of some things, to offer ourselves back to you, to not hold on to it so tightly, but to loosen our grip and say, here it is, Jesus, it's yours. Take it all. Take my life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.